recording. There we go. Let's begin with prayer. Thank you, dear Lord, for the word of God, for our eternal hope, for everything you've done for us. And as we uh, today study Acts 17 and Luke 4, may we have wisdom about what the gospel's about, what kind of reactions happen throughout history, and how we can understand better your ways and how you work in history. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I gave you assignment last time to go back and read the narrative of Jesus going into the synagogue in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4. So, first of all, let me kind of set the stage here. Here's the Torah scroll slide I showed you last time. And I'm just going to leave that one up. Torah scroll. And here we will uh, talk about Jesus uh, in a Torah scroll and some echoes of what happens in Acts 17. Where Paul had gone in and read from, from the scripture. Let me... In Acts 17, 1 through 3, Paul had gone through Amphipolis, Apollonia, and Thessalonica, went into the synagogue of the Jews, and for three Sabbaths disputed, we looked at this last week, dialogomai, with them from the scriptures. Okay? from the scriptures. So there was a dispute from the scriptures. And he was demonstrating, I'm just reading this from the Greek here, so that's why I'm a little slow, opening completely, literally, and setting alongside paratithemi, here it is, setting it out there for them, that the Christ, it was necessary, day, it's divine necessity, paschal, where we get our word paschal lamb, had to suffer and rise from the dead and that this Christ, Jesus, is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. It was necessary. So Paul, we covered this last week, proved from Scripture it was necessary. It wasn't just something that happened by accident or a horrible tragedy. It was a predetermined plan of God. It says earlier in Acts, It was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. Now, what I suggested last week, and we're going to cover that this week, is that here they opened the Torah scrolls, and this had happened earlier. Luke-Acts is a two-volume work. And I've been teaching through Luke-Acts for a couple decades now. I started in 2006, I think. And, you know, teaching through Luke Acts. Now I'm in Acts 17, went all the way through Luke. And the two-volume thing is important because themes are set up early in Luke that find fulfillment and echoes in Acts. So let me give you the big picture. In Acts 13 and here in Acts 17, earlier we had some other incidents. Paul comes in to a synagogue, and there from the Jewish scriptures 
demonstrates that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and preaches the gospel. Now, this all is prefigured in Luke, in Luke chapter 4. So that was our assignment to go back and say Luke 4. In Luke 4, at the very beginning of his public ministry, Jesus goes in to the synagogue and opens the scriptures and starts proclaiming himself. So what Paul does in Acts 17, Jesus did in Luke 4. And what happens in Luke 4 is sort of a paradigm or it sets the stage for what is going to happen. As a matter of fact, you might say, despite all the controversies, there's a more positive outcome in Acts. Because in Luke 4, they all rejected him and went to throw him off a cliff. In Acts, at least some believed. But Luke was before, was before the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So now, notice the Torah scrolls. I told you the story of how when we bought, we, I say the group I was with in 2005, bought this building, and it was a very old, dilapidated synagogue with a very small Jewish congregation, and we remodeled it, and now it belongs to a Messianic synagogue, and we rent it. But this area over here was where that synagogue met. Shree has said, Shree has said was a synagogue. And I came to visit while we were in the process of buying this rabbi, asked me to come to one of their services and see them, what they do. So I agreed to visit. And they brought out Torah scroll. And as I said last week, um, the Jews, at least this group, and I think it's pretty common, honor the elderly. I know a lot of us kind of like that idea now. Uh, but they honor the elderly, so they had one of their older members out there, and they take these, see how there's two, two handles that go through them, and they're all kind of sewn together, and they spin them. And so the reading is from a certain passage, Let's say it's the one from the prophet. They'd have to find it. So they'd be up there going like this, and the elderly guy would be looking at the Hebrew. There it is. Slow down. They find it. It's a little easier to flip through pages of a book, but that's not how it was back then. Okay? And then they read in Hebrew from the Torah, or from prophets, whatever, Tanakh. They had all of it. And that was their, what happened. So here is how it, what it looks like. So in, this is what happened in, here in Thessalonica. But now we're going to go back to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. So I'm just going to leave this slide up here. You're going to have to turn in your Bibles. I didn't, this is too long. If I made slides, I'd have 20 of them. Too much for Christy to print. So go to your Bible and turn or your electronic or whatever Bible, and turn to Luke 4. And we're going to start with verse 16. I did a whole bunch of study on this this week so I can speak about it wisely, I hope. Luke 4, starting with verse 16. Talking about Jesus. 
this is the very beginning of his public ministry. It says, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So Jesus customarily went to the synagogue on Sabbath, even as a youth. He stood up to read. So he went on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So they had their reading, in this case from Tanakh, which would include the prophets. Uh, Ed, were you telling us what they typically read? Did they, did they have different readings? Do you remember? Well, there was always different readings for each person for each day. I had a reading for my bar mitzvah, and you actually sang it, you know, using the... Uh, those little symbols for the various accenting is also used for music. Okay. So that's a different subject. Okay, so they so they would read they would read it and sing it. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. We have a couple members who grew up in a Jewish synagogue. So they would have experienced that. Well, so there's a discussion whether this incident was a miracle in the sense that the reading from the prophets that day happened to be Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, or whether Jesus purposely turned to that one, where Luke doesn't tell us. So he stood up to read. Verse 17, Luke 4. And the scroll of the prophet, okay, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll. I'm reading... uh, I think from the ESV. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Luke 4.18. Take note, Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now let me mention a few things about that, and then we'll go back and read more from Luke 4. So we're going to be in Luke 4 today. He was reading Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. Um, somebody with their Bible open, go to Isaiah 61. You got it? Okay, Carly will come with the mic. I want to point out something about Jesus' reading of Isaiah 61 right over here. Go ahead. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance uh, of our God to comfort all who mourn. Okay, notice in verse 2 of Isaiah 61, It says the day of vengeance of our God. But when Jesus read from 
the prophet Isaiah in the synagogue at Nazareth, his hometown. He didn't go that far. He stopped before he got to the day of vengeance. Now I'm going to show you why he stopped. And this, this is very significant because this becomes one of the big issues throughout Luke-Acts in the dispute that happened eventually between Christians and the Jews that didn't believe, okay? Because the next thing Jesus says, verse 20, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all on the, in the synagogue were fixed on him, verse 21. He began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, the reason Jesus did not read the vengeance of God is because that wasn't fulfilled. That's not fulfilled till the second coming. This is only about the first advent. So he stopped, and where he stopped, that part of it was fulfilled. Okay, so what part was fulfilled? Well, back to verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. See, Isaiah 61, 1, is a messianic prophecy. Okay, the term Christ, the Greek word Christos, means anointed one. So Jesus is saying, when he says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing, he's the anointed one. Now, look back, I think, earlier, and I don't have my Bible. I, Jessica, could you dig my Bible out of my briefcase? Well, if you look earlier in, in Luke 4, didn't, wasn't Jesus baptized and the Spirit came upon him, or was that in Luke 3? That was Luke 3. So 4 starts with the temptation. That's right, the temptation. You got it. You, I thought it was in Luke 3. Okay. Do you have the one in Luke 3, uh, Brian? I have actually the temptation of Christ. But look, go back and find baptism. Who has it? Okay, there we go. There's our reader. We're going to do like a synagogue and have readers. Right there. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. I take delight in you. Keep going? Or? Yeah. Okay. As he began his ministry, Jesus was about 30 years old. Okay, okay, that's fine then. So he was baptized, and he is declared to be the son. And um, in other gospels, the spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. So Jesus is the anointed one. He's the son, God the son. The Christ is the anointed one. Okay, so here in Luke 18, the spirit of God is upon me. He's anointed me. So the anointed one, the anointed one, the uniquely anointed one is the Christ. Many are anointed, 
but only the Christ is the anointed one. And that means Messiah, son of David, and so forth. Son of Abraham, son of David, ultimately son of God. So he says, the Spirit of God is upon me because he's anointed me. And what he's going to do is what's revealed in Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, part of 2, and that is Messianic prophecy. So what Jesus is doing in the synagogue, right from the Torah scroll, is declaring himself to be the Jewish Messiah at the very beginning of his public ministry. So the Spirit of God is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to captives. Now, in the bigger context of Luke Acts, I want to talk about liberty. It says he sent me to proclaim liberty and then to set at liberty those who are oppressed. I'm using this particular translation because it gets the Greek right. Liberty is a phasis in the Greek and then the second time, a phiabi. Same, different form of the same word. That's thematic in Luke Acts. A phasis can also be translated forgiveness. So he's proclaiming release. The word aphasis means release. So release as a noun, aphasis, and then release as a verb to set at liberty, aphiabi. That's thematic in Luke Acts. So forgiveness of sins is release from sins. So he's the anointed Messiah, comes into his own synagogue, reads right from the scriptures they had there, and proclaims that he personally is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. Minus the vengeance at that time. The big stickler, the sticking point, the problem, was that the Jews of his day were looking for a Messiah who would destroy the enemies of Israel. And they were looking for release. They wanted release from Rome. They wanted release from their oppressors, the the pagans, and uh, they wanted political freedom. However, Jesus came in the first advent to bring release from sins through dying on the cross and being raised on the third day, which Paul preached in the synagogue in Thessalonica. Yes, we have a need for the mic here. There's something in the New Testament, I think it's Ephesians, where it talks about where Jesus led the train of captives. He, the, and they, he, there was a, a captives where he released them as well. Is there... Any correlation yeah, he, he with, brought the captives right. So free. Is there uh, any correlation between this and that? Well, it was, again, that's release. But they're looking for political release, not release from sins. <laughs> well, see, if you had your Bible on a little computer, you could search for that. Okay, now, 
So just understand this. Liberty, release, forgiveness are the same word in the Greek. And the bondage that people were under was bondage to sin. The bondage that they thought they were under, which they were in a sense, was bondage to the Roman Empire and lack of political freedom. And so when Jesus does not cite the day of vengeance, he does so to not mislead them. In fact, the day of vengeance is coming, but not till the second advent. You see that? Now, they, in the dispute in Luke-Acts between Jesus and his apostles and the Jewish people who didn't believe in Jesus was that if he's the Messiah, when's he going to defeat our enemies? In fact, they mocked him on the cross. Well, if you are the Son of God, come down off the cross. They mocked him, they cursed him, cursed him, they spat upon him, and he submitted to all that. What kind of Messiah lets the enemies of Israel do that to him when he should be defeating them? Well, the vengeance comes later, and Luke-Acts tells us that. Because in Acts, the disciples said, now are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? After the death, burial, resurrection, discussion on in Road to Emmaus, the Great Commission, Acts 1, now are you going to restore the kingdom? He said, the times and epochs are fixed by the Father's hands, but you will be my witnesses. So from the day of Pentecost, pouring out of the Spirit on, according to Joel, until the second advent, all of the God's messengers are preaching release from sins, release from sins, release from sins. Your bondage is the Christian message. is not a political bondage. It's a bondage to sin. And if you don't find release from sin... You could live in the most uh, favorable and happy political situation you can imagine, and you're still in horrible bondage. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, The release reminded me of Hebrews 4 with the uh, believer's rest, and you went over that in the Hebrews Bible study. Right. In Hebrews... The Sabbath rest in Judaism was fastidious Sabbath-keeping rules. But according to the book of Hebrews, Sabbath rest is found in Christ. And in Matthew, Jesus proclaimed that. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew uh, chapter 11. In Matthew 23, he said about their own leaders, they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they won't even lift them with a little finger. How many of you know that when people have enough political power, they like to make more laws? Because they love... Or corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so they love to put the thumb under your squirm. (laughs) Ha ha, look at them squirm. 
Okay, so that's what they were doing. But Jesus wasn't there to change politics. He was there to release us from real sin, which is our sin against God. Now, aphasis, or the noun, aphemi, verb, is found in a lot of places of Luke Acts. In fact, aphasis, release, is found twice here in this section we're studying in Luke 4, but it's used 17 times in the New Testament. Nine of the 17 are in Luke Acts. So let's look some up. Um, who Somebody look up Luke twenty four forty seven. Somebody else, Acts two thirty eight. I'll let you choose. We're going to look up places in Luke Acts where these are used. Luke twenty four forty seven, Acts two thirty eight. Why don't Jesse? Why don't you do Acts ten forty three? So somebody else will find twenty four forty seven, Acts ten forty three. Acts thirteen thirty eight. Who has uh, Luke twenty four forty seven? There we go. Luke twenty four thirty seven. Forty seven. Forty seven. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Yes, Luke twenty four uh, forty seven. That's a very important verse. Don't forget Luke 24, 47. It's programmatic for Luke X. Thematic. This is what Jesus said after being raised from the dead, appearing to disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he commissions them. Luke 24, 47, that repentance for forgiveness of sins. The word Forgiveness there is release of faces. So it's bringing back to Luke's readers the terms that were used in Luke chapter 4 in the synagogue. Release. Release from sins. Repentance means to turn. To turn from serving Satan, sin, darkness, and so on, to Christ and walking in his light. Those who turn to God through Christ are released from their sins. They're forgiven. That make sense? Okay, now the next one was Acts 2.38. Who has Acts 2.38? Mike, well, get ahead of us and look up Acts 13.38. But who has... Acts 2.38, there we go. Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you, will be, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right. So now the gift of the Spirit will be given to all who repent, and their sins are forgiven. Same word there. Forgiveness of sins, a me. Release from sins. So on the road to Emmaus, they're told to re- preach repentance for the release from sins. In Acts 2.38, Peter does that. He preaches repentance for the release of sins. You know, if you're a good reader, you won't be deceived by bad theology. 
You know, I get nasty emails from people telling me I'm a false teacher because I teach repentance. No, I kid you not. Some of the most vicious emails I've gotten are on that. Because they claim that I'm teaching salvation by works. Well, no, because God grants repentance according to Acts. But they don't get it. They, they, they think mental assent is all you need. You don't need to really turn to God, just believe facts. And so they're very vicious. And they say repentance is only for the Jews. The Gentiles don't need to concern themselves about that. And it's just so bad. It's so off. It's like, how do you do that? And they say, well, the, go- the Gospels aren't for the church anyhow. It's just for the Jews. Well, I said, so I say, well, have you ever read Luke Acts? Okay, Luke tells us who he's writing to. A Theophilus is hardly a Jewish name. Even if it's a, uh, not a proper name, but it means friend of God. Still Greek. Luke, we're not sure if he was Jewish or not, but clearly Luke Acts was written for the church. You can't read Luke Acts and think it's not written for the church. Oh no, gospels aren't even for the church. I say, no, the gospel is written by the church for the church under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You're a false teacher. Go away. That's what they tell me. There isn't anything dumb enough that somebody won't teach it. Okay, learn how to read. If you know how to read Luke Acts, the two-volume work, you will never be deceived by anybody like that. Because Jesus told them to preach it, and then in, and then in Acts 2, Peter preaches it. The author determines the meaning. Luke is telling us it's good, it's right, and they did it. And they say, yeah, but Paul had a different gospel. No, he preached the same thing. Well, the, somewhere in Acts, we started, uh, uh, the church started, but it wasn't in Acts 2. Okay, somewhere in Acts. Well, where's that? Well, maybe Acts 9 or maybe Acts... Or, okay, well, let's just go ahead then. Acts twenty six eighteen. Oh, that's one of my verses. Rich, you want to look up Acts twenty six eighteen? And we find out the same thing is going on by Paul. And so I send these things to these people that are angry. And I say, well, then why was Paul preaching repentance in Acts 26, 18? They say, well, the word repent isn't there. It riches right over here, the front. Uh, because they don't realize that epistrepho, to turn again, is synonymous in Luke Acts for repent. All right, Acts 26, 18. To open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that by faith in me they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified. Hallelujah. There it is. Actually, kind of answered kind of a question that I was going to ask or was thinking about. So forgiveness and release implies both sanctification and a release of consequences. Yeah, the release happens upon conversion. But the total end of it, the ultimate release is at the resurrection. Okay? Uh, We can say it this way. At conversion, we're released from the penalty of sin. 
and, the, and slavery to sin as a dominating force in our lives. As we're sanctified, God is giving us power to walk out what it looks like to be a new creature in Christ. At the resurrection, we're released from the very presence of sin. There is no sin at all at the resurrection, yes. I just want to get a clearer picture of what you're saying, so answer this if you would. Do the false teachers in this way, do they say just accept facts, like accept Jesus, accept facts, accept the Bible, Uh, accept these things, uh, and then you're saved? What they say is this. The gospel is no more than 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Nothing more than that. Don't add anything else to it. They're saying that Jesus offered a mythical kingdom to the Jews that he would have instituted at the first advent had they agreed to accept it. And that all the teachings in the Gospels are what that mythical... They don't use the word mythical. I'm using it because according to them, it never was instituted anyhow. So the teachings of Jesus, the Lord's Prayer, the Sermon on the Mount, everything there, and then a lot of material at the beginning of Acts is all about what that non-existent, non-instituted kingdom would have been like had the Jews accepted it. Okay? But when they rejected it, God went to the, the other, this plan B, which is the church. And this plan B is Paul's gospel, and it's different than Peter's. To give that a name, are you describing hyper-dispensationalism? Yes, Les Feldick. Les Feldick is the guy doing that, and he has lots of followers. And they still contact me, and they still rebuke me. Okay, Les Feldick is a serious false teacher. And he's actually telling us that we can reject the teaching of Jesus without any problem, because it wasn't for us anyhow. The only, that Paul had a different gospel than Peter, and that this kingdom was never established, and the gospels aren't for the church. And that repentance has no place in the gospel, and that faith in Jesus is mental assent to certain facts, and if you had any more than that, you're damned because you're teaching salvation by works. Les Feldick. I debated with his followers over and over. I wrote an article about him, CICMinistry.org, called Hyper-Dispensationalism and the Authority of Christ. So that's that, okay? Thanks for asking, I don't mind. He's still out there, good old boy, nice old man, nice rancher, Uh, kindly old gentlemen don't always tell you the truth. The fact is, if Luke was not writing to the church, nobody told Luke. (laughs) Why does it less felt he can't travel in time? Hey, Luke, you're not writing to the church, are you? The Gospels aren't for the church. So what this would mean was a huge percentage of Jesus' teaching never applied to anyone, ever. Zero. 
Nobody really has to listen to the teachings of Jesus because they were for a kingdom that was never established anyhow. Plus, plus, another implication of this. Whether the kingdom is established or not, in their way of thinking, is dependent on man, not God's eternal purposes. Jessica. Now, let me give you an example, all right? Get this one right because it applies to amillennials, postmillennials, and so on. They specifically asked Jesus, now are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? Right? If you want to find that one, Jesse, while you're, you, know, you got too many fingers already in there. Um, and Jesus' answer was this. Jesus' answer was, or oh, you can have it right now if you just be willing to repent. We'll have the kingdom right now. I won't ascend. I'll just go into Jerusalem and sit on the throne. Is that, was that his answer? No. no. Well, if you're less felding, you wish it was. No, he says, the times and epochs are fixed by the Father's authority. But you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the outermost parts of the world. And here's what I debated. I debated an amillennialist. There's no fixed time for a non-event. If, in, fact, in fact, Jesus being God, who cannot lie, if they asked him now, then the answer would have to be, it's never going to happen. It will happen, but it's contingent on the plans of man. He didn't say any of that. He said there was a fixed time, but it was yet future. The church age happens first. Jessica. So I was thinking about this idea of the Gentiles being plan B when things didn't work out for Jesus quite so well. But all throughout Isaiah, we see these passages where there'll be a light to the Gentiles and the nations will come to him. Right. And I was just flipping through trying to find one, even though I know there's many. And I came on Isaiah 55. JR, please stop. And it says, surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you, because the Lord your God and Holy One of Israel has, has glorified you. There, but there's many, many more that are right. even more specific I, than yeah, that. There, the there plan was that, always was for Gentiles. Right. There was a passage that we call the Great Commission in, in Isaiah. The church was not plan B, not to minimize God's plan for Israel. We can do everything that's important from the Bible. God will restore Israel. Jesus will sit on a throne. He will rule from Jerusalem. But it's yet future. It's a time fixed by the Father's authority. But the church from being isn't to be considered nothing important. The same people claim the church is not part of any covenant whatsoever. Somebody emailed me that just like four days ago. We, we're not a part of any covenant, they say. So what's this new covenant? Well, it doesn't mean that. Testament and covenant are two different words. 
I said, well, no, wait. He had the King James, but I went back to the Greek. Diatheke, covenant. It's in Matthew, new covenant of my blood, diatheke. In Hebrews 8, the, what's the old covenant is obsolete and about to pass away, diatheke. It's the same word. Oh, don't give us any facts. It doesn't mean that. Okay, so we don't have a covenant. We were just an afterthought. The kingdom never really happened. It's just contrived, nuts, theology. If you hear this and you're believing that, I would run out as fast as I could because it's based on lies that cannot be substantiated by any clear exegetical work in the New Testament. So thank you for reading uh, Acts 26, 18. If nothing else, here, let me give give you an important uh, summary. In Luke 4, 18, 19, and 20, Jesus proclaims release to captives. In Luke 24, Jesus tells his disciples after the resurrection that repentance for release from sins should be preached in his name and that's what they did. In Acts 2, Peter preached release. Now, we've got a couple more. Acts 10, 43. Was that the one you had? All right. We need the mic again. Acts 10, 43. Do the disciples preach repentance for release from sins? Yes or no? So we want to answer. Les Feldick says that's not for anybody but the Jews. Okay, Acts 10.43. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. All right. The word remission there is a thesis. Release. Release from sins. Acts 10.43. That was Peter. And if I remember right, wasn't that Peter preaching to Gentiles? Saints, don't be deceived. The false teachers, first of all, they go King James only. So that limits what you get to learn. And they can voice things on you like Testament and Covenant are two different things. Not true. Then you don't quite see what's going on in Acts 10.38. If this was only for the Jews, and it was only for some non-initiated mythical kingdom that never happened that was totally contingent on man, not on the purposes of God. Luke Acts doesn't know it, and Peter didn't know it, and Peter had the gall to preach repentance for forgiveness of sins to Gentiles. (laughs) It's only for the Jews, but it's not for them because the kingdom offer was withdrawn, and so it's not for anybody. So a big section of what's given to us by the Holy Spirit isn't for anybody. Go figure that one out. And people are sending their money to this guy? It's nonsense. I don't want anybody's money, but don't support lies and false doctrines. Just believe the truth. So we had Luke 24, 47, Acts 2, 38, Acts 10, 43. Here's one, Acts 13, 38. Rich, you want to look that one up? You got a Bible there? 
I don't have my reading glasses. Oh. But but I will give it to somebody else that has them. Okay, Acts 13.38. Um, just before I hand over the mic, if, if, if any teacher's out there preaching that God has a plan B, he's a false teacher because God's not sovereign. I know. He's a false teacher. Plan I know. B, I know. he's a false teacher. That's, I know. They make the kingdom contingent on man, not on the purposes of God, which is a bad reading of Luke Acts. They, necessity, it's necessary, as Jesus said in Nazareth, it's throughout Luke Acts. It always means divine necessity. Acts 13, 38. Okay, yes. One comment first. One other place that we find the church, uh, the Gospels for the church is um, at, at the Jerusalem Council, you know, Acts 15. Right. All the leaders of the church confirmed that. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It was for the Gentiles. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, go ahead. Acts 13, 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Okay. No. 38 and 39, then. Okay, and everyone who believes in him is justified from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. Okay, so there is a release there and a turning. Acts 13, by the way, Luke's, let me explain Luke Acts. Luke's method is at some point he has a real long discourse so that we know what they preach in the synagogue. So Acts 13 and Acts 14 have really long uh, discussions of Paul's message, what he preached, scriptures he used, arguments he made. It's very long. You get to Thessalonica, it's short. It doesn't mean that it was short in Thessalonica. It means Luke's readers already know what Paul preaches from Acts 13. This is the abbreviated version because he was there for three Sabbaths. So he covered what he did earlier in, uh, I think, Pisidian Antioch. I, I may be wrong about that. Whatever was being covered in Acts 13. Yes, Eric. You know, this, this just, what you just said just illustrates that, see, there are no shortcuts. No shortcuts. And what people want, people want shortcuts. And what we have to do is really read the Bible comprehensively so that we don't just get fooled. When, when someone like you just mentioned, you know, in, in other letters from the apostles, they'll refer to something that really is a very lo- fairly lengthy theological concept. And so when people just go to a church and listen to some false teacher, they get fooled. We really have to just understand the Bible and be dedicated to reading it and rereading it so that we get it thoroughly right. and comprehensively. The Bible commends the Bereans. See, Paul's right now in Thessalonica in Acts 17, and they get mad, and they chase him out of town, and they go to Berea, and there they were more noble-minded because they searched the Scriptures to see if these things are true. So always search the Scriptures. Don't just listen to the TV preacher if they're not giving you a clear message. Let me go back to Luke 4. Back to Luke 4. Turn back there. I want to establish a relationship between Luke 4 and Acts 17, as far as the thematic principle we find in Luke Acts. So he says in Luke 4.21, about Isaiah 61, 1 and 2a, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? We'll see Joseph and family had gone to synagogue there. So 
At that point, they're saying, hey, this is one of our boys. And look at that. Now he's speaking so nicely. I live, uh, when I, um, where I live now in Zenwood in St. Louis Park, I used to mow the lawn and blow the snow for an elderly Jewish man by the name of Max, who actually came here when this was a synagogue. And I started preaching the gospel to Max, telling him about Jesus. And Max and I were friends. We went to the Twins game together and so on. But Max says, I heard he was one of our boys. (laughs) (laughs) And that's remind me of Luke. Oh, this is one of our boys. He went to synagogue here. And I said, well, uh, he, he, I was trying to explain uh, who Jesus really was to, to Max, my Jewish friend. Okay, is this not Joseph's son? Literally one of our boys. He was here. Verse 23. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Well, we've heard you did in Capernaum. Do here in your hometown as well. Now, the next incident is going to be in Capernaum, where Jesus goes, which would be in Galilee down by the, the, the sea there. And um, what he does is he predicts his own rejection. He's not going to do what they want him to do. In other words, they said, you're one of ours, so you do what we tell you to do. And Jesus said, you're going to use this proverb, but it's not going to work. He's going to be rejected in his hometown. We'll see if that happens. Verse 24. Verse 24 of Luke 4. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is susceptible in his hometown. Well, there's a general saying. It's an aphorism. No prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Nobody in your hometown is impressed with whatever you are. Because they knew you when you were just a boy or a girl. And you were just ordinary like everybody else. So don't tell us you're something great. We know who you are. You're that annoying kid in Sunday school. I mean, in uh, uh, study hall or whatever. Yeah, we know you. Okay, that's just a generality. Verse 25. But in truth, here's what he said. In truth, I tell you, There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over the land. Elijah was sent to none of them but to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Now a widow woman would be someone of little status in their world. Luke acts as a lot of it's about the honor-shame society in first century uh, Judea and all the Semitic cultures there. And a, a widow did not have status, lacking status. Verse 27. And, and lepers were even worse off than widows. They were unclean. Everybody stayed away from them. Agathartas, unclean. They had to yell out unclean when they walked around so everybody stayed, what's like now, six feet away. (laughs) All right. Now we know what that's like. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. 
and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So God is going to use widows and pagans. And they're going to find God. And they're going to be honored in the kingdom. But you're just going to reject me. Okay, that's what he's telling them. Let's go on. Verse 28. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Whoa. Hold on. We know who you are. You're Joseph's son. You came here. And you're going to heal foreigners and widows and not pay attention to us first. And so now they want him, now they're full of wrath. You take care of us first. But he's going to go down to Capernaum and do a miracle there. Let's go on. They're filled with wrath. Verse 29. And they rose up. Now, the same people aren't mobs fickle. Oh, this is our boy. Look at him. What wonderful words out of his mouth. They rose up, drove him out of the town, brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down a cliff. Verse 29. But in his miraculous power, he passed through the midst and went away. They didn't get to do it. They rejected him. They throw him off a cliff. Those who rely on the mobs die by the mobs. They're very fickle. We'll see that when we get back into uh, Acts 17 because the mob will soon treat Paul and Silas like the mob in Nazareth treated Jesus. So here's irony. Jesus declared, quote, the year of God's favor using a Greek word, dektos, in verse 19. But he was not acceptable, dektos, verse 24, in Nazareth. So this is the year dektos of God's favor, acceptability, but he's not acceptable, dektos, in his hometown. Do you get it? Wow. Luke is just really laying it out there for us to understand what God's doing. So now, let me read to you Acts 13.27. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, this is from Paul's message, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. Luke is telling us that the rejection of Messiah was a fulfillment of prophecy. Can anybody think of an area in the Old Testament where it's prophesied that Jesus would be rejected? Who said that? Good reading, Isaiah 53. He was rejected. In other words, they didn't recognize the year of God's favor, so they rejected their own Messiah and went through him off a cliff. 
but even the rejection is a fulfillment of Scripture. Does that make sense? Wow. And then he goes to Capernaum. I, I was there when I was in Israel in 83. Pretty cool place to go. And someone was delivered from a demon there. So Jesus did these things. Now let's, we got to cover, at least get to the next slide here. <laughs> I'll just do a quick overview. Acts 17, 4. And some of them were persuaded. So now we have Paul in the synagogue, like earlier Jesus was in the synagogue. Some were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. That's more than Jesus got in Nazareth. Because they all were filled with wrath there. Here, at least some believe, along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks. So both Jews and Greeks believed and joined. So obviously we have a church by Acts 17 and a large number of leading women, prominent women. This theme of God using people that were not given status by society is found in Luke and Acts. Lydia was a key person in Philippi. Widows were key people in Luke. God uses those who aren't deemed important in certain cultures because he uses the things that are not to confound the things that are. Here, prominent women would be similar to Lydia in Philippi. And then in verse 5, because I'm just trying to, this is just a preview for next time I teach Sunday school. All right, but verse 5, look at this. But the Jews were jealous, that is, the ones who didn't believe, some did, taking some wicked men of the rabble, formed a mob, set in the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Literally bad characters from the rabble in the Agora. I'll get to this. It reminds me of some things that happened this last summer. Um, down in uh, on Nicollet Mall in Minneapolis. It's kind of our version of the Agora. People hang out down there. Um, they're, 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 they're still boarded up, but I go, I go down there to get my hair cut. It's boarded up, and there's little crowds of people hanging out to see what kind of trouble they get in, different ones. Some guy committed suicide, and the word went out that the cops had killed him. Remember that story? And immediately a mob was formed, and they went about knocking out windows and looting. But it just was an instantaneous mob reaction. And then later was, well, the cops didn't kill the guy. He committed suicide. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. So human nature hasn't changed. Quickly, we're, we're out of time here. Uh, if I may go way back to the beginning when you first started, I have a question, and that was on, you had said that uh, we don't know. Keep your mouth close. If, 
No, it's on. You got to get close. Oh, if Jesus uh, actually rolled the scroll, or uh, it was handed, or, or, or it was yeah, so, or whether it was the reading, they would have been on anyhow. Yeah, right. But what we do know is that the the scroll of Isaiah was handed to him. Right. So then, uh, from there, we don't know. But it was but, a but reading. Isaiah, it would have been one of the readings from the prophets, right? So it was fulfilled. So it was a miracle today. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, fulfilled in your hearing. They were filled with wrath and want to throw them off a cliff momentarily. So let's close with prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and kindness. And help us to learn and understand your word better. Thank you for the release of sins that you've given us through the blood of your son as we trust in you. And we pray these things in his holy name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you upstairs. Eric will be preaching.